Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to ask away. As our culture continues down the path of secularism and postmodernism, it is more important than ever for the evangelical church to be consumed with loving God and loving neighbor. As the world continues down its path into darkness, the church must be a beacon of light pointing towards the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for sinners. But what does that actually look like for everyday believers? How do believers who disagree on so much move towards unity? Is it even possible? But before we get started, I am excited to say that we have Francis Chan with us in our studios today. Francis, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about what you've been up to recently? <laughs> okay, I am uh, in San Francisco uh, with my family that I love. I've got seven kids. Um, my oldest is married, so I'm a grandfather also to a one-year-old. Um and uh, we're we're just uh, planting churches throughout the Bay Area, but we're doing all in homes, and uh, it's all with lay people who are working full time jobs, and they're doing an amazing job shepherding, teaching, and multiplying, and discipling. And so uh, we're just building a little army here that's, awesome. that's kind of covert, and uh, where they're just trying to be the church in everyday life. Very cool. Fantastic. Yeah, we're so encouraged. I really want to come out and, and see what you're doing as well, yeah. Francis. It'd be, yeah. it'd be great. Okay, so let's get to our question. Uh, today's question is from Lola. What do you think is the next step for the evangelical church in America? Starting small with that one, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, oh, that's Francis. an easy one. That's a real simple answer. We've been sitting yeah. on that one for a while. Well, like, Francis Chan's here. Let's well, pitch it to him. Here, here's what I think. When I look at Scripture, obviously the greatest command is loving him, right? right. With all your heart, soul, mind. And we have to start there. My concern, my biggest concern is there are tons of people that attend these gatherings and yet when I speak to them, I don't hear like this fire when they talk about Jesus, mm. like the person of Jesus. Like, I love Jesus so much. I was with him this morning in his it's, – it's, a lot of times it's about, oh, did you hear Ravi's message? Did you? And obviously, I love Ravi, okay? And, you know, <laughs> did you hear this song? Did you hear it? There's so much talk about these different people that I just wonder – do we understand who we're talking about? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so step number one is almost, I think, getting people back into the Word of God alone and loving Him to where you just get this sense of, whoa, you really know Him and are known by Him. Yeah. Because when that is real, that's contagious. Mm. Yeah. That's that's so cool to hear you say that because um, we've been here for like two and a half years in America okay. and um, and we have visited so many incredible churches where they do, they deeply, truly do love Jesus. Mm. But but there's, it also was interesting coming from a different culture and stepping into it because I 
um, I was just feeling a little bit disoriented and, yeah. and I was trying to figure out about a year in, um, I we went away on a, a holiday together and suddenly out of nowhere, like it should have been a chill day. We were talking about where to have lunch and I almost started having a, a I, I don't know if it was a panic attack, we just struggled to breathe and I was feeling really stressed out and I, I, we were trying to figure out like, where is this coming from? Mm. And we sat down and talked for about half an hour and yeah. as we were talking and processing, like, where has this come from? We've been really busy in ministry, busy traveling and suddenly... I, I think I hadn't realized until I said it, it just came out of me. I just really miss Jesus. Mm. And it, it just sort of pulled out. And then I burst into tears. And I was like, why do it? Mm. We, we were doing so much ministry in churches. So why do I feel like I really miss Jesus? And, and, and I just felt like there was so much cultural stuff to get your head around when you move to the US in, in mm. some ways. This is a, it's just a different experience. And partly it was me not being used to it and having to learn. But I was struggling to... I mean, Jesus hadn't gone anywhere. <laughs> Jesus mm. is right there. This is his Gosh. church. He's 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 the Lord of all, and he was right there with me as well. So, but I, I just felt a little displaced. I was like, why am I finding it hard in, in all the mix of the good things here to also find Jesus in it? I love that you say that though. Mm-hmm. That like makes my day to hear, because I don't hear people talk about that. Yeah, I miss yeah. him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Now, and of course, I'm walking down the street at that point, just looking for like a lunch cafe. You know, <laughs> oh, <the> Joe Person, <laughs> I miss Jesus. I'm like, as usual, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Francis, you were saying over lunch today, which I just found so convicting, talking about living in reality, mm. uh, and I think this is related to what you're saying. You know, how much time we're we actually spending with Him and in the Word and soaking in the deep truths mm. of reality. Mm. And I was asking my Self, the question, as you were saying that over lunch, what percentage of my day mm. is lived in reality? Mm. You know, not just distracted by whatever someone has thrown into my inbox or whatever is pinging mm. on my phone or whatever I'm seeing in the 3,000 advertisements that flash across yes. my eyes every day. But what percentage of my day is deeply rooted in the tangible presence of God and on the noble truths that are found in his scripture and it was really convicting because I couldn't put a very high percentage mm. on that number. Yeah. I mean, I think about how the scripture urges us to not dwell on the things that we can see, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but to stare at what is unseen. That's great. Right. I mean, how much time do I think even right now? Am I just looking at flesh and blood right here, or am I thinking about the unseen world? Even as I look at you, can I look beyond the flesh and blood and see this eternal soul, and somehow we're going to be transformed into these bodies one day, and we're going to have this eternal relationship in the presence of him? Like, that's reality. Right. Yes. Yeah. Everything else is trying to distract us from that. Yeah. Definitely. And it's it's killing us. Wow. And it's— um. I'm just thinking about the context that you're ministering in, particularly in, in the Bay Area. And yeah. um, we've spent some time doing evan- evangelism there, did two missions at Berkeley in the last couple okay. of years. And um, oh, like the highlights of the year, I mean, the most exciting yeah. place to live for mission, I think, in the US. <laughs> it's, it's so fantastic. Um, but it, it's interesting to me because often I think people look at the next generation and they feel like, oh, no, the next generation, like so yeah. hopeless. So I look at all the people on university campuses and places like Berkeley right now, I'm like, this is an opportunity, you know, because mm. they are, they're actually hungry for causes. They actually yeah. care deeply about the world. You know, apathy is gone. And yeah. there's this opportunity there because they're passionate and longing for something, but they have no framework for it. They don't know what it mm. is. And they're just kind of desperate. And that's why the suicide rates are so high. And you're like, there's actually a need here, like a, a neediness mm. in the next generation where I feel like um, if the evangelical church could sort of awaken its eyes to the opportunity there, as opposed to being frightened of, of where where the yeah. students are at and where it's going, then mm. um, I just feel like th- 
for evangelism that that there is so the harvest is you know incredible right yeah. now. But I I, I get the fear, yeah. um, you know, and I, I I praise God for like your your ministry here mm-hmm. because you help people overcome that fear with answers. Mm-hmm. But I think most of us have this insecurity when we hear of, oh no, Cal Berkeley, I, I don't want to go there. You know, let, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to some homeless people, you know, yeah. they're drunk out of their mind because <laughs> yeah. they won't ask me anything that's, you know, because I don't want to make God. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to sound ignorant. Sure. Mm. Like, well, what do you guys say to people like that? That, I mean, that's like a genuine fear, even of right. mine sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was it was great hearing from, uh, we have Becky Pippett um, yeah. speaking yeah. earlier today on evangelism. And, and what I love, I love what she said, because she was basically saying, look, everyone's scared of evangelism because you feel so inadequate, don't you? Mm. But actually, that's where we start <laughs> and, and mm. celebrate the smallness, because that's when you see the power of God at work. And mm. I think even places like Berkeley get hyped, don't they? Because everyone sort of intellectualizes it. But also, there's, there's so much spiritual stuff yes. going on there and you're like okay we have scientism and we have this new agey stuff and, and there's yeah. a lot of um spiritual darkness but also an openness to mm. to the power of god as well mm. so i think sometimes you sometimes it's not the intellectual arguments that win there we saw yes. people come to faith on that campus through the power of the holy spirit and surprising things happening and it's almost like god worked his way around the intellectual obstacles because mm. he knew they were dug in there but there was an openness over here. Yeah. And so he moved. Um, really, it was the power of prayer, not the power huh. of intellect, or yeah. you know, which isn't surprising. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think often people be surprised at, at how often, even as a ministry, we're not answering the question, but we're just asking questions in response to the question to try to figure out what's behind it. Hmm. I mean, when we're in one-on-one conversation, sometimes we'll go, we'll do events, we'll speak to an audience, but then some of the real ministry happens afterwards when you're face-to-face with someone hmm. one-on-one and somebody asks a question, you ask a question about their question, hmm. and all of a sudden you're talking about real life. Yeah. And in those conversations, I try to hold off answering the question as long as I possibly can. Wow. Because as long as you hold off answering the question, you listen before you speak. You know, that biblical model, you learn more and more about who the person is and why they're asking the question in the first yeah. place. And you get pretty far into that conversation. You can't remember what the question was in the first place. Gosh, that's but really... you're actually speaking to their soul much more. So I think sometimes people think, you know, to be interested in apologetics, you have to want to be an answer person. Actually, mm. quite the opposite. I mean, no one had the answers more than Jesus, but he almost always responded to a question with a question yeah. by figuring out what was behind it. Gosh, that is so true. There have been so many times when I've been shocked when I do find out what is behind the question. I've totally forgot about yeah. that. But there are many times when I'm like, gosh, this, you know, this this person that may even appear to be this bully is really just so hurt inside mm-hmm. over yeah. something that's not about logic. It's just almost how they fight against it. It's kind of like mm-hmm. when Ravi was talking about the, the Jonah thing where you almost have to run the other direction because you're so convicted. And so you just start fighting yeah. against it. Right. And really there's something else going on inside. And that's where we have to trust the word of God. Mm-hmm. And I think you might have mentioned that earlier today about just know deep inside it might be buried, suppressed. Yep. They know there's a God. That's right. They know we have to go back. And that's what the word of God says. I just got to be used by God to peel through those layers and help them look Uh and see now at the core of my being, I know there's a God. And it's exciting. You know, if you actually believe that, you know, when you, when you believe God's telling the truth, you know, in Romans one, when he says Mm. people do know God, 
or in Acts when he says God is not far from any person, mm-hmm. I think things get exciting then because no matter who you're talking to, you're like, this could be the conversation, yeah. you know, right here. And, you know, even as evangelists, if you ask us to try to pick which person is going to respond to an invitation to accept yeah. Jesus positively yeah. and which person is going to respond negatively, yeah. we wouldn't get it right. Yeah. We don't know. That's in the spiritual realm. That's what God's doing in a person's heart. And so, you know, we try to always extend that invitation. An invitation is a gift even if you don't think you're in a position to accept it. Mm-hmm. If I extend you an invitation, you know, to come to our wedding, even yeah. if you don't think you can make it, that, that should be honoring yeah. to you. So we just want to extend that invitation whether someone thinks they have great obstacles or not. And sometimes just in extending that invitation, somebody just, yeah, it resonates deep in their soul. There's truth in this. That's so good because I, I, I love that you're, you're looking at your theology and saying, look, this is what I believe based upon Romans 1, so here's how I'm going to minister. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think too often we kind of put our theology aside, and then when it comes to ministry, we think about what will work. That's mm-hmm. good. As though it's two different things. Right. Right. It's That's like, good. no, <laughs> and there needs to be an alliance with our theology and our practice of ministry. Mm. And that's one of the things I've just been harping on lately. It's like, gosh, mm. I shouldn't do things this way if my theology says this. Mm. And so now how can I bring those two in alignment? That's right. on that note, because that's that's so brilliant. Yeah. Um, how how is that part of the impetus for what what you've done with your church? Yeah, because yeah, obviously yeah, this yeah, is a yeah. brand new thing. We're uh-huh. thinking about the exactly next steps. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, tell us more. You know, thinking yeah. about the future of the church in America. You yes. you're going a different direction right and now. A lot and of people are. It's yeah. Also, yeah. Tell us tell us the well, theology yeah, and the praxis. That's like, exactly yeah. it. Because the my theology tells me that every single believer has the spirit in them if they truly are a believer, and they manifest the spirit of God in a very like a supernatural way i mean that's that's huge mm-hmm. that's that's what was driving me nuts because in in the old church when i was like lord i don't know how to do this yeah. i have thousands of people who supposedly have so much power in them yeah. and i don't know how to i, I I'm not smart enough to, to to get them to all use it, and they can't all use it on Sunday morning because we only have an hour. Yes. Like, how are we going to make this happen? So my theology was telling me, you have supernatural power in you, and I need you. But my practice was, hey, I just need a worship leader, and, <laughs> right? and he and I will run the thing. Right. Yeah. You know, the rest of you, yeah, you know, give or whatever, you know, help out a little bit here. But my my practice was not showing that I really believe this. My practice was not showing that I believe that the Holy Spirit was given to all of us to make disciples, to be his witnesses, and that there was power in that. The power was in the gospel itself, and the power was in the word itself. I, I was starting to, to to act as though the power was in me solely in my gift of communication and uh you know rather than no 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 through the spirit through the gospel itself the very words of god so i should be able to read these words and we should tremble at it and and again some of the stuff i was talking about today about okay when we become perfectly one this is going to convince the world yes so if i believe that then shouldn't I? Because it's so much easier to go, I'm just going to preach the gospel by myself. And yet, biblically, no, you can't do that. The mm-hmm. power of the gospel is when the church is unified. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so then, 
if I believe that, I need to fight for that unity, seek to have deep, deep relationships that the world can see Mm. that is clearly different from the rest of the world. I have to release these people in the body. And so it's just just trying to figure out, not saying that we have the perfect way. It's like I've got to make avenues for all these people to make disciples, to lead, to exercise their gift, put the burden on them to share the gospel with the people they work with. And so this this whole thing of— of how we're doing the church is mainly because it's 100% because of the theology. Oh, it's so exciting. I, I just want to pick up on the theme of unity uh, for a minute. And and maybe, Lola, this is another potential answer to your question. These are just thoughts that are forming. Yeah. I'd love to just throw them on the table and hear, okay. hear what you guys think about these as well. But as I've been reflecting on culture, even in just the last weeks, it seems like two of the things that are very characteristic of our culture at the moment is that there's an extreme sensitivity to offense— and there's an extreme lack of forgiveness. Hmm. So we're existing in a culture where everything is offensive, we're easily offended, hmm. but there's not really any model for forgiveness and reconciliation. Hmm. And so there's this this huge gap between the offense and the forgiveness. And I yeah. think that's it's a really dangerous place to be because if you if you know deep in your heart you're an offensive hmm. person, that there's sin in your life. And I think everyone knows that deep down, but you know that forgiveness is not an option. Mm. Well, then you can't be honest about who you are. And if you can't be honest about Mm. who you are, you can't be known. If you can't Mm. be known, you're inevitably Mm. going to be lonely and you're going to become angry and you're going to start to think, is life even worth it? Mm. I think that's some of the cycle we're seeing in culture, but it all stems from this lack of forgiveness. And the reason I started thinking about this was because my best friend came to Christ a few months ago, mm. and that happened mm. when he and his wife dug up something difficult from their past. Huh. It was from over a decade prior, but it had never been dealt with. And for the first time in their lives, they were taught what it means to actually repent and ask for forgiveness. Mm. And they did that genuinely. And it's one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen because you rarely get to see two other people do that. When he said to her, will you forgive me? And there was this pause and there was this, you could see the weight on him. And then when she said, yes, I will, and it just fell off. And he came to Christ later in that day. And I have to think it was because all of a sudden the gospel wasn't just abstract to him, but he had seen it concretely. He had seen that Jesus had made forgiveness possible and that there was power in forgiveness because of what Jesus had done. He had actually concretely experienced that weight being lifted off. And so all of a sudden the gospel made so much sense to him. Mm. So in a culture where we are seeing so much offensiveness and such a lack of forgiveness, don't we have something amazing to yeah. offer? And it, so yeah. as I, when I look at your question, Lola, what's the next step for the evangelical yeah. church? Where my heart is really going at the moment is, are we a people of reconciliation? Are we a people for whom the words, will you forgive me, roll easily off of our lips and are said frequently? When is the last time I said those words? Not just I'm sorry about the circumstance or I'm sorry you felt that way, but will you forgive me? Because thinking about my best friend, I have to believe that if people see in the church the concrete reality of a gospel of forgiveness, 
then the gospel is going to make sense to them. They're going to want that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's almost like there's a incompleteness of just preaching the gospel without demonstrating yes. it yes. right through the church. It's, it's like what Peter says in, in 1 Peter 2, how he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So it's this it's this picture of how together, like you you, you used to be an individual, mm-hmm. but now the church you're a people group. You're this holy nation, and it's somehow together you proclaim the excellence. You 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 yes. collectively yes. proclaim the excellencies. Mm-hmm. It, see, I can I can. Well, there's a million sermons on forgiveness. Right. Okay. Right. We've all heard them. But how many examples have we seen in the church? Yeah. Like, like that's why the church is so important is, is because suddenly if the world looks on and sees forgiveness like they've never seen anywhere, right. maybe right. you offend me in the worst way possible. And someone is looking on because we're both a part of the church and they see you forgive me and show Mm -hmm. grace. And they go, what are you doing? And you go, you don't understand. That's what God did to me. So there's, there's no way I could ever, it's, it's that picture that they're not seeing. Sometimes we look at the world and go, oh, they're so intolerant. They're so unforgiving. And I don't know how to fix it. Or maybe I'll go out there and try to bridge these gaps and, and, and get people to get along. The answer though is no, it's supposed to happen in our church first. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be a light. I mean, it, there's not supposed to be unity in the world, right? Right. The yeah. spirit's not there. But where it is supposed to happen is in the church. Mm-hmm. And that's when everyone's supposed to be looking on and going, right. how come they get along so well? Mm-hmm. What is it that makes them so unified? I've seen forgiveness in that group, everything else, but no one's talking like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the shame here. So before we get into, like, trying to figure out how to bring peace to all these different places, we start with us. You know, I I, I think about my own family, right, my own just personal family. Like, I've got to start there. Just And so when my my kids bring their friends over— they look at the unity of our family. Like, look at your mom and dad. What, 25 years? What? That, you know, it's like shocking. It's like, you love your little brother. You love your older sister. <laughs> right. Like, look at the way you guys care about each other. I mean, seriously, my kids that have brought friends over walk away and they'll tell me the comments their friends make. Like, we've never seen a family like that. That was really mm-hmm. weird. Or that was just like being in heaven or something. Like these are unbelievers saying wow. these things. Wow, what an and so that's the way the church is supposed yeah. to be, that if yeah. they walk into our gatherings, they're like, what is this? Right. That's where we have to start. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, uh, Francis, for joining us. Uh, We are unfortunately out of time for this episode, but uh, Joe, Vince, thanks for joining me. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.